Sean Donovan, and you're listening to the guys at Send Central. We hurt ourselves like we've done many times on the road, but the main thing is, is that we'll be on the road again at some point. Uh, now we're home, but, you know, on the road for sure. Uh, the process is that, you know, we got to get to uh, a place where all lines are reliable and all pairs are reliable so that they're able to play against anybody, and we're not there yet. Duchesne in, fires, it goes off a leg, you don't score! Oh, what a play by Duchesne, batted by Stolarz, and Ottawa's grabbed the lead! Sweet hands from Matt Duchesne! Are you kidding me, Matt Duchesne? The time is nigh. I've never talked about the differences, and I, know I never will, because every year is different. Uh, all I can say is I've been very fortunate over the years. You know, uh, I, I was there when Eric had his best NHL season, and you know we had a terrific run and brought me a lot and and terrific memories and that's what i stay on you know i've had nothing but great memories there and i'm again looking forward to creating more and you know uh, tomorrow afternoon is going to be another one of those great memories the roller coaster continues it's episode 52 of making sense the sense i'm ross levitan alongside brandon pillar hey guys and chris parliament How's it going, boys? Well, it's been a like I mentioned, a roller coaster. We had four straight losses, then three straight wins, and a stinker last night at the Bell Center. But the most emotional part of the three, five, and O stretch since we last recorded has to be the return of the captain. Eric Carlson made his return to the Canadian Tire Center exactly five years to the day that his mentor, Daniel Alfredson, returned as a member of of the Detroit Red Wings. I was at that game. I don't know if I wanted to be at the CTC on this Saturday. Pillsy, I'll start with you. Would you have wanted to be at that game? I feel like the emotions would have been a little wild. Honestly, I was hoping to be at that game. Not going to lie. I had to work the Belleville Senators game later that night. It would have been close, me making it, because it was an afternoon game. So I thought about going, but all the way from Toronto to Ottawa and then Ottawa to Belleville all in the same day. It would have been close, but uh, what an emotional game. And is it better that the Sens, Sens won and got to kind of prove that they don't need Carlson? Or would it maybe have been nice to see Carl uh, get on the score sheet and maybe get a big win? I was thinking when he got, if he were to get on the score sheet, it would have been a little bit of a mixed emotion type thing. And yeah. We were kind of chatting about it beforehand, and Ross said he maybe saw a hat trick coming because he was never, never able to put that together in a Senators uniform. That would have been but, wild. But this time, I mean, the Senators, for all that's gone wrong in the organization in the last however many months, they did this right. The video tribute was great, allowed Eric to take his little victory lap i guess you could say onto the ice acknowledge the fans have a little smile that was a moment and it kind of felt like when the puck dropped to play after maybe kind of if possible the curtains had closed on that chapter and were able to move on and pierre dorian mentioned that in his pregame hit with duthy i uh, said this is could be some closure and i don't think fans will ever have closure the fact that your best player in franchise history, with all due respect to Alfie, is getting a tribute video at age 28. It just, yeah. there's, it's, there's something off-putting with that in itself. But you mentioned the video tribute, and what I loved about it is it captured his charisma. They had yeah. countless shots of him in the locker room, you know, playing with the camera, getting guys loose. So I think that, if anything, can hopefully dispel this brutal narrative that was going around 
prior to the well during the lead up to his return about his leadership qualities getting questioned. So I thought that was some some low blow journalism. Uh, I think that uh, especially with everything that's gone on with him personally, it was just kind of cheap shots before he came back. But he handled it with class and uh, sent out a nice message that finished with merci to the uh, the Ottawa fans. It almost seemed like uh, the easy way out. If you have to have someone to blame, it's easy to blame the guy on the outside looking in. And now, unfortunately, that is Eric Carlson looking in. And you mentioned the nice message he had to send. I think Melinda Carlson, his wife, said something like, uh, does anyone else have 50 Kleenex boxes I can borrow? Obviously, an emotional night for both of them. Well, day, I guess, as you alluded to, Pillar. It was a daytime game. But Melinda, that's kind of something that's maybe the afterthought when we think about hockey and players, this is just their careers, but Melinda was forced to move out of her hometown of Ottawa. And there was definitely roots here. He called it his forever home. And that was one of the parts they encapsulated into that video. Ross was that this really was his forever home. He wanted it to be his forever home. And just like his mentor, as you mentioned, Daniel Alford said five years to the day. And unfortunately, same narrative. Hey, but fortunately, uh, you mentioned it's tough to move on from your home, which obviously it is. But man, when you're going to a place like San Jose, which not only is it a beautiful spot, but they've also got a pretty good hockey team. That's not the worst thing. So at least he didn't end up in Edmonton or something like that. Wow. Shots fired at Edmonton. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty good hockey team, but not exactly looking like it. And big moment for the Sens there. First three game win streak of the season. And that was maybe kind of you alluded to it, Ross, the roller coaster that this season has been so far. It was the lowest moment, I think, of the last five years for the Senators, but the highest moment of the season so far. Yeah, and the the Sharks had lost four straight after that Ottawa game. They came back with a big win against Montreal, a team that Eric Carlson got an assist, and he has 33 points in 41 career games against Montreal. But now he's played every single game, every single team in the NHL. Yep. And only the Ottawa Senators does he have no points again. The second fewest is four points, and that's in three games against Vegas, just to show you that he just dominates every team. Jeez. Tough to say it wasn't his best game of the season so far, though. He was throwing everything on net. He was showing vintage Eric Carlson the ability to walk the line with authority. Six, six shots in the first period. Absolutely, and all of them seem to find the net. Some guys just have that knack, and to say Eric Carlson isn't one of those guys, you'd be lying. Hey, guys, for games like this, do you think before the game there's a there's a sort of plan set in place where everyone's like, okay, we're going to feed Carl. Carl's going to get a goal. And Carlson kind of has the mindset like, yeah, guys, pass oh, me the it. puck. I'm shooting. I'm scoring. Like, do you think games like this, like that really gets focused on pregame? Oh, for sure. There's money on the board. The guys are putting up some cash. And you know who else probably lost some serious cash is Mikel Bodker, his second career four-point night really kind of stole the spotlight because let's forget even let's not forget even though it was Carlson's return not the same until they go back to San Jose but they still want to show that management group yeah I'd assumed well Doug Wilson was on the trip because I know he had the team meeting with uh, San Jose and in, in Montreal but you want to show that management group hey maybe you shouldn't have got rid of me even Especially though of course three of Bod- them. yeah well Bodker was in the Hoffman trade but still that's your old team and and you want to show them and and they did that pass I think it was Tierney to feed Bodker for his breakaway goal that was a beauty um nice to see Tierney kind of get back on track he's had a rough go since the demotion we'll get to the lineups in a little bit but what else you got on that game Parley well we mentioned have a day Mikel Bodker on that 
play where he broke up the wing and gave it to Mark Stone on Mark Stone's goal to really kind of tie a bow and end that game. Thomas Chabot was absolutely crucial in that goal as well, creating lanes, his skating ability on full effect. Because if we can rewind the play a little bit, without the visual, I guess, he had a stick on the original shot there that forced the puck to go into the corner while backing up and somehow was the first guy to the net on the other side, 200 feet away, creating that lane for Mark Stone to rip that one home. So a little bit of uh, Mikel Bacher getting a shot at his old team, but also Thomas Shabbat, really kind of the microcosm of his season so far, was getting to the front of the net there and just showing, I'm just as good of a skater. Maybe that's a little bit of a stretch as Eric Carlson, but he's showing at a young age right now that he can definitely keep up with the big boys, and the numbers can speak for themselves at this point from the blue line. Yeah, the Sens have a lot of numbers that speak for themselves, especially their splits home versus on the road at home. That win against Carlson and the Sharks was one of their nine home wins. They're nine, four, and two. Whereas on the road, they're three, nine, and one. And what we noticed on Tuesday night against the Montreal Canadiens was the inability on the power play to get anything going. They're now 0 for their last 13 with the man advantage on the road. Is there any explanation for that? I mean, there's five players on one team. There's four players on the other. Like, there shouldn't be a home ice advantage to this. Last night, it seemed like they weren't able to get through the neutral zone, and I think that was a big part of why their power play was clicking early. And it seemed last night when Guy Boucher threw the top unit over the boards that they couldn't even get past the blue line. And if it was, it wasn't getting any further than the top of the circles. And that ate up a good chunk of the first power play, and I thought that they fell flat after that. They weren't able to get good controlled zone entries. And if you can't do that, then it's a scramble. You're able to get a few shots on net, but nothing with traffic. And we all know that that's a huge part of the power play to get guys in traffic. And if Brady Kachuk's going to have any effect on the game, which he rang one off the post while standing out front, he's not going to be effective if you don't get him those scoring chances. And I think you need to, in a situation like that, when your power play is struggling, you need to give your top-end guys the ability to do what they do best, and they just simply didn't do that last night. Yeah, the power play really couldn't even set up in the first period, and that's where you want to take advantage on the road. But let's get into more of these highs and lows. We're going to pick one each, something that we thought was the highest of highs and the lowest of lows over this stretch of roller coaster hockey. Parley, you want to start us off? Yeah, last night was definitely the low for me. The loss to Montreal, it seemed they were flat. There was a chance or two early in the game where I thought Carey Price really held them in it, and he showed where he was really on his game a couple times. He made great saves to keep the score close, and then Montreal was able to take off from there. But last night really showed to me what the biggest problem in the Ottawa Senators organization is right now, and that's the gap. And what I mean by that is... The, ta- the top-end talent on the team compared to the bottom-end talent on the team. And right now, it's really affecting the top-end talent. One point that really dr- or one moment that really drove that point home for me last night in the game was Colin White, Brady Kachuk, and Mark Stone really working the puck below the goal line and creating good offensive chances for themselves. And then one pass, and they were out of the zone. 200 feet later, Ben Harper was flat-footed, and it was in the back of the Senators' net. I think that shows you right there that the Senators aren't able to keep up with themselves almost. And the top end talent is really getting knocked down a peg or two because Ben Harper and other types of defenders, they're just not able to keep up to the pace of play that the Senators 
really top end players are able to do. Well, it's unfortunate that Ben Harper had a pretty tough outing. Same with Cody Cece, but Ben Harper, I want to get into specifically just because I thought that once he fought Dale Weiss in that game on Tuesday night, second half of back-to-back, I know people will roll their eyes when I say that it rejuvenated, gave the bench a ton of energy, Um, but I think it did. And it also, I think, showed Ben Harper that he's not just a big like Bambi out there where he's, he's scared to have physical confrontations. He he showed he could handle Dale Weiss, a tough guy. And I thought that gave him a lot of confidence in his next couple games. And then I like the pickup of Justin Falk, but we'll get into that later. I like it for a competitive reason. Um, so that was your, your lowest of lows. What did you like most about this streak, Parley, or these well, streaks? If I'm going to have to say the high, that I think the most fired up I was over this, this streak was the Brady Kachuk back-to-back goals against Philly. And not only did that showcase his top-end talent, where he shows, yes, I'm an NHLer, and these 15 games haven't been a fluke for me yet, it showed that he's competitive, and it showed his leadership capabilities, where he's able to put a game on his back as a 19-year-old at the highest level. And that shows me that this is really where the team is going. Brady Kachuk is really a building point. And we were kind of throwing around uh, a couple comments after that goal. And Ross, you, you threw us a picture that showed Colin White and Thomas Shabbat celebrating behind Brady Kachuk. And you said, this picture really gives me a lot of hope. And I think that's really where the franchise is going. Yeah, and negative people will say, oh, it's the stone effect, but Brady Kachuk is one hell of a hockey player. That was two goals in under two minutes on back-to-back shifts, and it set up my highest moment of this stretch because Matt Duchesne, are you kidding me? And those, those were the words of Mike Johnson, who was between the benches for TSN, and, I mean, that's all you can really say. It was a switch hit, you would say. He's a left shot. It was on the backhand. He was on the faceoff dot. It might be, we've seen batted goals. Crosby's made a career highlight pack out of them, but they're yeah. usually from right at the top of the crease. I don't think I've ever seen one from that far out. That was ridiculous. And I, I've watched a lot of hockey in my day. I think I've got a few goals that have actually gotten me out of my seat. That one certainly got me out of my seat. I was standing up. It was unbelievable. It's one of those moments where, you know, some guys bat pucks in, but they're never 20 feet away from the net, 25 feet away from the net, and batting them in with authority, bar down. I mean, that was unbelievable from the backhand. And even he kind of mentioned afterwards, yeah, you guys are playing this up a little bit. I I just batted it out of the air. I don't think you could hit that more square. That's a line drive up the middle in baseball terms. Just when they needed a positive story, right? They'd lost four straight games. They were on the last game of a road trip that did not go well. They went all the way west to Dallas. And right before coming home, you get that extra jolt. There was the Harper fight I mentioned. The Brady could chuck two goals in two minutes. And then like potentially the goal of the year for the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, and that goal needed to happen, Ross, because that game, to start, up until that third period, it was looking pretty bleak, and it didn't look like they were going to even contend in that game, let alone win, so I'm glad Duchesne got that amazing goal and that uh, that game didn't go to overtime, because I wasn't feeling too good about the Sens in overtime that game. Yeah, that was definitely one of the reasons it got me out of my seat, was it was almost I had been lulled into a sleep in my seat, and then that happened, and I... 
jolted awake after the two Brady Kachuk goals, but I guess that goes back to the old hashtag pesky sends, eh, boys? Yeah, that's exactly what. But they're also the consistent sends from the standpoint that in previous years, Guy Boucher puts his lines in a blender like three times a week. Like This guy's having more fun with his lines than, than I think he should. And what he's done this year is he's let these players grow a bit more together. We've seen Stone with Kachuk and White now consistently over the past, what, three, four weeks? The one thing he's still changing is he likes bringing a checker up to play with Duchesne and Batherson. Although he has kept those two consistent, and I give him credit for that when Drake, maybe on the road, he's trying to shelter him a bit more. But he's still kind of moving to Zingle around a bit more than I think he should. But the bottom line is it's it's been more consistent. How much do you think that that is helping these players um, feel more comfortable as they adjust to everyday NHL hockey, at least for these younger guys? Well, we've talked about the stone effect before, and Colin White's maybe had a little bit of trials and tribulations. We've talked about it before. All of his buddies from the national team have been in the NHL. Austin Matthews, Matthew Kachuk, guys that have been in the show while he was still in the minors, and this year, I mean, the stone effect in full of force. Colin White is looking dynamic right now. And just a quick note, I definitely wanted to mention on that line. We talked about it before with uh, why the Boston line is so good. And I'm talking Brad Marchand, David Pasternak, Patrice Bergeron. And I feel that that's because we mentioned it before on the show. They're able to spread the ice out and use the boards and the entire 50 feet width of the ice. I think that this line is starting to do that, and that's why Colin White has been so dynamic through the middle is because he has space to skate. He's taking full advantage of it, and I think that's really why this line has become so good is because all three parts are moving in the best way possible. Colin White was able to turn defensemen in junior, and we saw that at the World Juniors a ton, but people wondered if he was fast enough to to really do that at the NHL level, and I think he's proven it. I mean, there was a play against the Rangers where it was like a feather pass through the neutral zone, one-on-one defenseman pivots, and all of a sudden, Colin White's like two feet in front of him, and he's not going to wow you with speed. He's never going to be in the fastest skater competition, but he's showing that he he's got an extra gear. Um, that he can use and when you have two players on that line who I think will be the first to tell you speed is not exactly their best attribute it's more fishing pucks in the corner and cycling they need that element on that line so when you can spread the wealth and and not use Duchesne's speed on that line but have him push the pace on a second line with another speed guy like Dezingle and then a guy with the elite hockey sense that Drake Batherson has I think you're, you're seeing the skeleton of a, a really good top six. And it's all in credit to Guy Boucher starting to match complementary skills. And you just mentioned it there. And going back to that Boston line, who would think to put a great face-off two-way guy that's going to win every battle, a pest, and a pure sniper together? But it works because they all flow together. It doesn't need to be... It's not the old NHL where you need to have a checking line, a scoring line a second scoring line and a gritty line. That's not the way it is anymore. You got to have four lines that skate and sometimes they all complement each other. And that's when you know you find magic. And I think the Sens are starting to find some magic. They're finding magic up front, but goaltending is what ultimately wins games. And Pilsy, there was one game in particular that was your high of this past stretch and it starts in the crease. Yeah. Well, goalie friendly show, you know, us here on Sens central. <laughs> so, and here's the thing when you've got a guy like Andy, who is, 
at the age he is, who has been through what he's been through with this organization, he's very used to getting a lot of shots. This guy needs a break, and he needs a morale boost. I think he got a big morale boost getting that shutout in New York against the Rangers. 27 saves, so it's not like he was getting um, uh, as I many shots as... In, I wish it was in New York, though. It was their second second part. Yeah, that's, that's tough for you, Ross. But uh, it's nice to get a shutout at home. But he had 27 shots... Uh, for his shutout, the Sens average, they usually give up 38 shots per game. So that's a low, that's a uh, low night for Andy. He's not busy that night, but it was good for him to get a shutout because he just needed something to look back on to be like, look, every game is not going to be a six, five game. I can still, I can still get a clean sheet. I can still get a, a nice shutout and keep the boys going. And all they needed was three goals, and they got the win against a lowly Rangers team, which you should beat especially. So that was a high for me in this uh, little stretch since our last pod. And you know what? If I can throw in a little secondary high there, it's uh, Drake Batherson looked, if he's looked good this season, he looked great in that game. And it was all in the very well shared in the Sens Twittersphere gif of yeah. Matt Duchesne saying, what a pass because that really was some great hands out front and Drake's not scared to get in the dirty areas. He scored out front there a couple times. He's been right in the slot between the two dots scoring goals. And, uh, last night, I mean, we saw a little rough stuff. Maybe his well, first was a great hit. That was a clean yeah, hit. Great reverse hit. Maybe his first pims of the, of his career, I believe. Yeah, well, at least for dusting it up. But getting back to Pilsy's point as well, the Sens have given up 40 or more shots in 10 of the 28 games this season. So, yikes. Going to want to tighten that up uh, defensively. Um, Have you given your low yet, Pilsy? No, I haven't. Well, speaking of, uh, I mentioned how uh, Andy's used to 6-5 games and stuff like that. There was a game last pod I I pretty much guaranteed the Sens were going to beat the Panthers at home. That did not work out in my favor. They lost 7-5 to the Panthers at home. And the worst part about that is Mike Hoffman getting the icing on the cake, scoring that seventh goal. And it would have been okay if they lost the classic 6-5 game, if they could have at least held Hoffman off the score sheet to snap that ridiculous point streak he had going. But of course, he gets a beautiful goal right at the end, just to, just to rub it in the face of Sens fans. Oh, and he did just that, not only to the fans, but to the bench. He does right the at the one bench. knee down, punch through, right staring through Guy Boucher's soul. So that was a low, my lowest moment. I mentioned you saw on Send Central, you saw on Nicole Anderson's Twitter that Send Central was at MSG for the game against the Rangers. But specifically within that game, the lowest moment, it started off as a high. Yeah. Thomas Shabbat cutting through the neutral zone, sends down one minute left, ready to make this comeback. He's flying through the neutral zone, loses control of the puck, and runs through you know how the via rail sound goes when the send score <laughs> that's what was going through my head the train tracks as nemesnikov flew back about six feet on the ground probably the biggest hit it it was reminiscent of johnny boychuk eating it from chris neal a few years ago in the brune sends game um so we're cheering wes and i are going wild as we are zabanajad picks up the puck in the neutral zone of all people feathers it into the empty net and every person in our section turned around and said sorry what were you uh about 
Yeah, and I don't. Let's touch on that hit. Let's forget the goal. Let's. That's not important. That hit was so huge. And what I liked best about that hit, uh, Ross, is that's a that shows good hockey IQ. Because Thomas Shabbat was flying. He was trying to get uh, through the neutral zone with speed. But he realized, I'm not going to hold on to this puck. I need to switch from offense to defense. And when he lost the puck, immediately he switched from being the attacker to being uh, getting ready for a hit. And man, was he ready for that hit. And Nemestikov was not ready at all. That's like you said, that's one of the biggest hits I've seen in a long time. Yeah, and not even hit, just collision. That almost looked computer generated the way that Nemestikov flew back. That was my first thought. It was it almost seemed unbelievable the way his body reacted in the Knocked air. Knocked the wind just, right out of him. Absolutely, and I yeah. don't know, when I saw the replay, I don't know if I've ever seen a bigger deer in the headlights look <laughs> than Thomas Shabbat winding it up behind his own net. Nemeskov hopping over the boards thinking, oh, a minute left, I've got to play some D here. Flat-footed on the red line, and here he comes. You're in the trolley tracks, as oh. Grapes would say. Yeah. And kaboom. So nasty. So nasty. It's unfortunate that the play ended the way it did. But my high would have been meeting Nicole Anderson not once but twice. And just more proof that Brian 5 or 6 gear just brings everyone together. I was rocking my shirt at, at MSG. Walked past Nicole. Kind of gave her a wave. But I still have my jacket on. First intermission. Just going to the, the concourse. Get a nice frosty one. And um, I turn around and Nicole's like, I need to get a picture with you guys with that shirt. So we said, you know, follow at Send Central. She knows where to get all the good Sends content. So uh, if you don't follow us there, Send Central on Twitter. So um, what else do you guys know? I saw that uh, Zach Smith is wearing a visor now. We got to hope that's not forever because if it is, that's the end of the no visor era in and Ottawa. Ross- Zach Smith, the last guy. And we're getting close to that era being extinct anyways. Yep. And Ross and I, I know Pillar is to the old school hockey, but while Ross and I were living together last year, we decided to throw together a depth chart of a team that didn't wear visors. And Zach Smith was on that team, and it would be tough to see him go. We, in the last few days, have mentioned kind of in passing that Erica Branson decided to throw a visor on. So it's a dying breed out there. I believe Wayne Simmons is even wearing one now. Wayne train has a visor on a new windshield on the train. If you will, (laughs) Zach Smith, it's tough to see him put a visor on. I don't think he'll keep it because even he mentioned when he had the cage on that, Oh, it's a big change between it. Maybe he's got the yips coming back. Maybe a weekend off will, He'll put the he'll put the or he'll take it off, I guess, and go back to the norm. Only you two have enough time to sit down <laughs> together and create a full lineup of guys who could be on a team together who don't wear visors. Who are your tendies? Oh, yikes! <laughs> uh, we'd have to go. I don't know. Who do you want to be in there, Parley? We could we could go Jacques Plant early days. I mean, it'd be tough to pass <laughs> up on him. Yeah. <laughs> Toughest guy in the room. Yeah. Man, I'm surprised Arthur's Urbe never wore like one of those mix like cage, but also have the, the visor in the middle of it. That guy was all kinds of weird. You know, he used to drive over his pads with a Hummer. That's how he used to break in his pads. So, yeah, all kinds of weird stuff out of Arthur's Great. Urbe. Hey, um, World Juniors. Sends two guys on the Canadian squad, 34 guys. So there will be 11 cuts before the team decides who's going to Vancouver or Victoria. Uh, World Juniors back in Canada this year. And 
Alex Formanton, nine games with the Sens, has torn it up since going back to London. You might have a chance to be the captain of this team. What are you uh, looking for for Team Canada, and most specifically the Sens prospects, Alex Formanton and Jacob Bernard Docker? Jacob Bernard Docker, like Bruce Garriott said last night, he's got a lot to prove early in camp. And if he's going to do that, I think he's got to show his offensive ability as well. I think maybe he was touted as a bit of an at-home guy because they took Johnny Tyconic so close afterwards. And their complementary skills, if you will, would be Johnny Tyconic being the great skater and the offensive guy. But outgoing. Bernard, exactly, outgoing. But JBD... He's got some offensive touch as well, and if you follow Sen's prospects like you all should on Twitter, we've seen videos of him scoring goals and really putting up good numbers at UND this year. I think he's got to show that he's a little bit outgoing as well in his play. If he's going to make that blue line, I think he's got a good shot at it. I mean, he was taken in the first round, and it's tough to knock a first-rounder out of the lineup, and I think he's got a good shot at this thing, and Alex Formanton is definitely going to be playing a top six, if not top three role on this Team Canada squad, and I think against younger guys, being there before, he's got a chance to really fly by the competition, and I mean that literally and figuratively. Yeah, I I think there's no doubt in anyone's mind that uh, Formington's going to make this team. He's already uh, spent some time in the show. He's got an elite, uh, elite speed that is undeniable, and Going back to JBD, Ross, you and I were talking about this a bit uh, off air. It's going to be tough for JBD in these kind of tryout situations because, like we said, he's a stay-at-home defenseman. It's really hard to showcase your skills like that in a short amount of time in practices and scrimmages and stuff like that because the things that JBD strives on and does really well are those little things over time that you notice once you really get used to him. So hopefully, like you said, Chris, he can get the offense going and uh, really show some flair in this tryout so that uh, he can at least keep the eye of uh, the coaching staff and management staff. And if you want to focus on his point-getting ability, he's got nine points so far in 15 NCAA games. And I think sometimes NCAA players get put a little bit on the back burner, if you will, of the Canadian uh, development staff and coaching staff of these tournaments because they're not right in front of them for all these junior games and in the CHL and maybe even the top prospects game. It's tough for them to really show and showcase their skill. But in 15 games, he's got three goals and six assists. So it's not like he's being held off the score sheet. He's a guy that can push the pace. And I'm pretty sure he's playing power play minutes in North Dakota. So I don't see him playing top power play minutes as Canada sometimes goes with the 4-1, the four forwards and one defenseman in these tournaments historically. But this year, he's definitely got a chance of maybe being on in the power, the second power play if he makes a team because he's a point getter. Yeah, 100%. And if it's the one-out, one-in mentality, Dante Fabro from Boston University was on the team the last couple of years. So if you want to send him out, bring another college kid in, then uh, JVD could fit the bill. Team USA hasn't uh, announced their lineup yet, but you can assume that Josh Norris will be firmly entrenched in their lineup. Probably got a note on him. How's he been doing? Well, he's been fantastic. I mean, you follow Sense Prospects again. You see videos of him. Like twice almost a night. Seen- Yeah, absolutely. He's lighting it up there. And another big positive for him on that American squad is, you know, the Hughes's or maybe Hughes squared. I'm not sure how you want to refer to Quinn and Jack. You know, they'll be manning on the top power play. And you got to think that Norris has a uh, good in there playing with 
Quinn Hughes at Michigan probably manning the top power play there as well. So you think Norris will definitely have a chance to uh, go out there and showcase his skills, maybe five on four as well. Yeah, those are likely the only Senators prospects that will get a taste of the World Juniors this year. doesn't seem like there's many international prospects really in the system anymore, uh, let alone from maybe the smaller countries we've seen in the past, Christian Yarosh on, on Slovakia and some smaller countries getting some love. Marcus Nurmi, can't forget him, but now they've all graduated a little bit older age group. Uh, some B-Sens news. Pilsy, you were at the last game, and there was maybe a similar type highlight level save uh, to what we saw in the Duchesne goal. Boys, I'm fired up about this. Let let me just say, as a replay operator, there are, are few joys and few things that really get you going. <laughs> but when you're showing a replay and controlling the speed and stuff like that, like I am, and it's going on the Jumbotron, we ran the replay of Gustafson's diving stick save three times in a row. And when we played it, you can hear, as I'm slowing the replay down, you can hear the entire CAA arena go, oh, like those gasps. And we were just like, okay, do it again, do it again. And we replayed that uh, save as many times as we could in a commercial break because the crowd was loving it. Even Spit and Chicklets retweeted that highlight save. Uh, my boss was telling me, okay, you got to email this uh, replay to TSN. We got to get this on highlight of the night. What a save by Gustafson. Those are the moments you live for when you're when you're spinning the dial on a replay. Oh, and and when you're a goalie friendly show, you <laughs> yeah, love seeing that. 100%. And Gustafson, I don't think that the Sens would have thought that he would already be up at, at over a dozen games now in in the uh, AHL. He's really kind of been forced to with the injury to Marcus Hogberg, but Hoggy's back. Well, and it's funny you say that, Ross. Remember the start of this season, there were talks about Gustafson possibly spending forty games in Brampton. Remember, people were saying he should at least spend half the season as a starter in the East Coast League. And now he's been pretty much the number one starter in Belleville. And it's it's a sight to see finally seeing the Belleville crease tandem being Gustafson and Hogberg. That's that's music I'll, to I'll my ears. It, there has been some growing pains. I mean, he has he has had a few games where he's been shelled, but that's but that's part, part of the development, you know. That's yeah. that's that's how you learn. Honestly, as bad as it sounds, you learn more from getting shelled and letting in five uh, bad goals than you do from having a good game. So Pilsy McKenna had a good start in his last one, but I think we're all of the mind that he's more suited to be the starter in Belleville. Uh, is there a guy between Gustafson or Hogberg that you think might be ready for some NHL games? No. <laughs> no, you got any other ideas? Well, between uh, Hogberg and Gustafson, no. But uh, I've been tinkering a little bit with this idea. The Sens really need to sign a new goalie. And you can come at me and roast me all you want for this. But I don't understand why they haven't taken a look at a guy like, uh, honestly, a guy like Kerry Letton. I know he hasn't. He hasn't played. <laughs> he hasn't played at all this year. I don't even know where he is. But let's just look at his <laughs> his stats last year. He played 37 games. He had a 2.56 goals against average and a 9.12 save percentage. Look, that's not amazing by any account. It's pretty much average. But if you can get him playing 20 games for a one-year, one million dollar deal, a low-risk deal, like. Andy needs the breaks. McKenna, I don't think, is ready to be a full backup in the NHL. And it, Condon is, I don't even know what So, to so when about. do you think McKenna will be ready? At what point in his development? 
<laughs> 20 years ago, Ross. Uh, hey, McKenna, I think, is a good goalie, but I think he's like he's, he's in a tough back, spot. He's been to back to back Calder Cup finals. Like this, this guy is a great AHL goalie, but he's just not at the level you need to be to play in the NHL. I doubt something crazy like Carey uh, Lettinen signing or something like that will happen, but I'm just saying a low risk. Uh, short-term solution could be beneficial because Andy is getting absolutely it, it, worked every single it night. It worked when the Sens did that with Mike Cond and they picked him up for a fifth rounder, and uh, he kind of saved the season in, in 17. That's what I mean. Go for a short, short-term fix and then don't sign the guy for three years after <laughs> he comes in and saves your season for 30 games. But they have to. Yeah. Did that Maybe just... Too. Maybe Justin Folk could strap on the pads. Ross, you mentioned we'd get into him a little bit later on into the show. What do you think of his first few games as a senator? Well, he came in with a ton of emotion, and that's what you want to see from a journeyman. He's on his fifth NHL team in six seasons, so he's he's been around, and he knows that he has to make an impact because I don't think anyone in the fan base even knew who he was. All they knew is that because they, I mean, they called up Bergdorfer, but with the injury to Christian Willinen, they didn't even have enough confidence to play their captain of the AHL team. So they go out and sign a guy. So I think everyone kind of took that away, their lack of confidence in their defensive depth, um, by signing Justin Falk. And then he comes out and he throws a huge hit on Joe Thornton, uh, kind of showing that, yeah, even though we have to respect your greatness and Thornton's unreal uh, and has been forever, but He's not gonna. He's not gonna bother about that. And then, of course, he has to fight after a clean hit. Classic. Um, but what I really like about it is a guy like Harper sees him come in and fight. And he's another big defenseman. I mentioned to you guys. He almost reminds me of Matt Karkner a little bit. Just kind of big, clumsy, and and can throw the body around. He did so in Montreal as well. Kind of grabbed Domi there for a second. Um, I, I hate Max Domi, by the way. That didn't take long. It took like watching him for five periods wearing a Habs jersey, and I was like, wow. Uh, it just feels right hating a guy with, with Domi on the back of his jersey. Yeah. Um, Full circle. But yeah, so a guy like Harper now, he goes, wow, maybe I, I am 6'6". Six, six. I have to add a bit of toughness here. And last night aside, I thought that Harper's best couple games uh, have been in the two games since since this has happened. Yeah, you definitely have to commend a guy like Justin Falk coming in at a 1 a.m. flight landing and yeah. then going out there and playing an afternoon game of all things and bringing a little bit of fire with him and a little passion with him. You mentioned the hit on Thornton, obviously huge hit there. I was a little worried, honestly, about Jumbo Joe. As, just as a hockey fan, he looked like he went in a little awkwardly there, then had to go to the room after getting a, a puck to the face. So a rough game for Jumbo, but Justin Falk stepping up making the plays he has to, and then right in the thick of things last night, not getting a lot of time, obviously doesn't know the system that's being played as well as the other guys, but in the time he has had, he's made an impact, and it certainly hasn't been a name that Sense fans have forgotten in his first two games. And just quickly, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like Jumbo Joe doesn't have that same presence with uh, with the shaved face. It's just, it's not, it's not the same. He doesn't have the same uh, aura about him, but... Anyways, going on to uh, Justin Falk, kind of like you said, Ross, I like this move not because I'm a fan of Justin Falk or I have a lot of uh, a lot of hope for his potential of what he'll bring, but I like it because it kind of kicks Harper in the butt, saying, "Look, you're not the only one with size around here. We can we can find size somewhere else." That's why the Sens like him so much is his size. So start figuring out how to use it properly as an advantage, 
or else your spot is very easily replaceable. I mean, geez, they just picked the first defenseman with size they could find, not signed, and flew him in, like you said, Parley, that night. So you're replaceable, Harper. Start playing like you are. you're replaceable. And with Christian Yarrow starting to man the blue line with a little more consistency, yep, he's a true. guy that can bring size, and we know he's bringing some grit. And we know from personal experience, talking to Sean Donovan, the organization is pushing for him to add a little offense to his game, and that'll come with more experience in games and more minutes as he starts to see more opportunities to add that to his game. And with Boro out, the blue line is missing that grittiness. So if you're able to bring that, bring it. And Ben Harper certainly hasn't been. So that was a good point from both of you there that it's maybe a little bit of uh, ignition under him. Yeah, thank you very much, Chris. That's very, very kind of you. Now, I'd like to uh, continue on just a bit on the defensive aspect. I mentioned briefly Christian Willinen out with an injury. It doesn't look like it's going to be long-term. I do want to see him get a shot after he really only got a one game, eight minutes, didn't really play much. So I'd like to see him get an extended look because this guy is just all confidence with the puck. And good puck movers is something that Ottawa, I think, is is missing right now. I took some heat on Twitter because I suggested a La Joie for Willine and Flip. I think it'd be good for LeJoie's confidence too because he's, he's certainly getting hemmed in his own end a bit, and he's on the injured list as well right now, nursing a, a lower body injury. That was not a popular take for you, Ross. You definitely took some heat on that for uh, your comments on the LeJoie, but let's let's be honest. People here. agreed too. There were yeah. people in agreement. Let's be honest. He had a hot start, but don't let that uh, don't let that fool you. Kind of the kind of the same as Chris Tierney. They had hot starts and then they really died off there. But I I would have he, no... people were quick to point out, Pilsy, that uh it was pretty coincided with his move to a pair with uh, number five. Huh. Weird. Um but like I was going to say, I have no problem with uh, putting LeJoie back in the AHL and giving him giving him some time there because this is a young developing defenseman and he really shocked a lot of us by getting that spot on the roster in uh, in the NHL. So there's nothing wrong with taking your time with defensemen and LeJoie could use some development in my opinion. Yeah, some people thought that I was like trying to roast LeJoie or, or Yeah, it's not like, like you're saying him cut out. him and lose no. him on waivers or like a, just I, <laughs> trade him. I think he's a very important piece to the future, but he doesn't he's the kind of guy, he's a mid-round pick. He's not he's you don't have to rush it. There, there's no reason to rush it. And when you and I have seen firsthand Willinen score five points in a single game this season in the AHL, he, winners, his, yeah. his breakout is awesome. His pivots are great. His skating is NHL level. Yeah. Sure, you might have a bit of the same thing as LeJoie where your defensive zone coverage might not be up to par. LeJoie is 21. Willinen's 24. He's got a, a couple extra years. Remember, he went all four years at, at the University of North Dakota. He's a bit more of a man's body, and I think that's going to help him in terms of defensive positioning and defensive coverage. I just want to see him get a, a proper shot. I couldn't agree more. In, in this NHL, you're, we get to watch Tom Shabbat do what he does every night and skating ability absolutely puts you on the forefront of what makes you successful in the NHL. Christian Willani possesses that, not so much Max Lejoie. I think Max Lejoie's best trait is his ability to hop into game or hop into the offensive zone at the right time. And that's what got him on the score sheet early. Now he's playing with Cody Cece. Maybe he has to play a little more of a defensive role. Well, he's maybe spending not- more time in his own end. Absolutely. And not getting as much of a chance on the power play, maybe with the top line clicking the way it was. 
So right now I'm all for a change and I'm with you, Ross. Don't let the Twitter haters get you down. I'm with you, buddy. Thanks, pal. I appreciate that. Now, Christian Yarosh, I think we can agree, is, has earned his playing time, and he's looking more confident with the puck as, as he goes along. So looking forward to seeing how he develops. Just a quick note before um, before we sign off on, on a couple injuries, and they both skated together. If you're listening to Question Period with Bruce Garriock last night, they talked about it. Jean-Gabriel Pajot, who was a nice to see him on the trip in New York and, and in Philadelphia, um he's he's back skating it seems like every day just getting stronger it's kind of injury they don't want to rush but he was shooting on mike condon who uh we're not sure what's going on with him is he day to day or uh it seems like maybe in the next week or two he'll be uh, shipped back to belleville to actually get a couple games yeah that was the interesting note there he is still a belleville senator he's not with the team traveling with the ottawa senators but he is able to practice with the team and i think that that's a big thing for his mentality too. just be with the big club still be around a professional environment and i think at some point maybe the norm is going to get him back into his regular play and at this point you really got to take a shot at anything to try and get him back to where he was because we've mentioned with andy you got to give him a break somehow and right now the senators don't have that break in place for him yeah, so when Conan comes back, maybe he'll get that break. It'll also be interesting to see what the Sens decide to do when Pajot can come back into the lineup. But it's a little too early to talk about that. However, it's not too early to tell you that the Montreal Canadiens' second half of this home-and-home home is coming up on Thursday. The Sens are starting a three-game homestand with that game. They'll have Pittsburgh and Boston visit the CTC on a back-to-back Saturday-Sunday. Then... Three games on the road, another streak. Some here, some there. They'll go to Nashville, a couple days off to Detroit and to Montreal. We'll try to get back to you guys for episode 53 in that stretch. But signing off for Brandon Piller and Chris Parliament, I'm Ross Levitan. Go Sens, go!